Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Atheists, agnostics, and all the major world religions, although they will not agree with each other, almost all of them declare that while they don't believe in Jesus Christ, Christ the Messiah, Jesus Christ, although they don't believe in Jesus Christ, they will identify that Jesus exists because outside of Christian literature, there is a ton of literature that talks of Jesus in the times that Jesus walked this earth. Indisputable, Jesus walked this earth. Indisputable, the things he shook up the Asia Minor world at the time that he lived. It's all in secular material, back, if you can back it up to that time. So it's not just the Bible that talks about Jesus. Literature, secular literature, literature that's considered amoral literature, talks about Jesus. And so agnostics, atheists, and world religions, they will acknowledge Jesus, and most of them will acknowledge Jesus, and maybe all three, but some of these three things. They'll acknowledge Jesus as a good man, great teacher, And some go so far to say a prophet. They will acknowledge, atheists, agnostics, and world religions will acknowledge Jesus is a good man. Great teacher. Some, a prophet. Now here's the problem. Follow me. Think through this. Jesus did not declare himself As a good man. He did not declare himself as a great teacher. He did not declare himself merely as a prophet. Jesus' identity was not labeled after he died. Jesus identified himself as the Christ. He said he was the Christ. He said he was the son of God. And so here's the problem with atheists, agnostics, and other world religions. Here's the problem. When you identify him as a good man or a great teacher, the problem is if Jesus is not the son of God himself, indeed, if Jesus is not deity, then that claim that he's a good man, the claim that he's a great teacher, has a problem. You tracking? Because Jesus, if he is not, if he's only a good man, if he's only a great teacher, then he must categorically be either one of these two things. He's a pathological liar or he's mentally ill. Now, you have to agree with me on this. You can work this one through. But you got to work this through. You have to work this through. If you say he's a good man and yet you do not say he is the Christ then he is the biggest liar in history of mankind. That does not make him a good man by anybody's books. If you say he's a great teacher, and yet he declared himself as God, and there was no other beside him, then what's he teaching? He is not a great teacher. He's either a pathological liar, he's mentally ill, 
But you cannot call him a good man. You cannot call him a great teacher. And you certainly cannot call him a prophet. And yet, that is spoken of widely, widely by those that I've mentioned. If at best Christ was a prophet, then he had to be a false prophet because he unabashedly claimed himself to be the Messiah. In reality, if the Christ that walked among men 2,000 years ago was not the Son of God, then he grossly misled people and nothing is good about him, period. You see the dilemma we have here? We have to think this through. And it's not rocket science to think it. There's a group that formed a number of years ago, back in 1985. I looked this up in uh, Wikipedia. It's called, they were called back in 1985. The group called themselves the Jesus Seminar. May, have, may not have heard it. Of course, they came out of California. And they were an American group of 50 critical biblical scholars and 100 laymen, founded in 1985 by Robert Funk, and it was called Westar Institute. Now, the members of the seminar, they would study the history, the deeds and sayings of Jesus of Nazareth. They studied the New Testament. And following which their study, they would vote. And they would vote with apparently colored beads. This part I didn't, under, I didn't know before. They would vote with colored beads to decide collectively... If Jesus was who he said he was. So they would take this vote. That's the, that group of people still exists today. They've changed their names. They are now renamed as the Seminar on God and the Human Future. And it's also referred to as the Christianity Seminar. They produced the latest report this year, 2022. And the report was called After Jesus Before Christianity. And the subheading a historical exploration of the first two centuries of the Jesus movement. Now, this group have declared themselves experts to decide who Jesus is. Now, everybody has a right to their opinion of who Jesus is. Everybody does, and that is true. Everybody does. I can't, I can't force my opinion on you, nor you me. We can, we can share them, and we all have a right to our opinions. That's, that's true. The part that is sickening, if it weren't even laughable, the part is, is that they come to their final conclusions by popular vote, by a vote. The reason it's, is what I'm saying here today is the vote of humans, no matter how arrogant it may be, can never change a truth, no matter how many people vote on, if a truth is a truth, then it doesn't matter about the votes on truth. You can't just vote on, you can vote on opinions, you can vote on ideas, you can vote on practices and policy, but you can't vote on truth. A truth remains absolute. It's not based on how many agree and disagree, and it gets carried, passed, and moved. You don't vote for truth. If the entire world's population of whatever billions of people are on this earth took a vote as to whether Jesus is the Son of God and not a single ballot was cast in his favor, he's still the Son of God. Truth cannot be voted on. This is what makes it ludicrous to have a Jesus seminar and they vote with the beads 
as they say, this part is not true, this part's not true, this part's not true, this part's not true. And they vote on Jesus, and they voted him off. Even so much that people have since, after looking and reading through their documents, have thrown out their Bibles because they have stroked out so much of the Bible, there's really nothing much left. So if they can't believe this, then they can't believe anything. So I want to talk about Jesus because we started the premise here today. He can't be a good teacher. He can't be a great teacher, can't be a good man if he also declared himself the Son of God. And he did declare himself the Son of God. I want to talk about the great I am, the song we just did. And there's two things I'm going to share today. The first one is the great I am. I want to invite you to follow me today as I follow John to the heart of Jesus. As he examines, unique to the other disciples, to the other gospel writers, they didn't record these, John did. You will discover Jesus seven times referring to himself as the Son of God. And I want to share, as John began to write these down, he began to record these. He's inviting us into the place that you determine in your heart, will you accept the truth of what Jesus has said or reject it? Let's begin. I invite you to go. We're going to look at John, a number of scriptures. If you have your Bibles, pull them out. We're going to grab these scriptures. I am putting them up in front for convenience sake. John chapter 6, you can grab them on your devices. John 6, verse 35. We're going to start there. John 6, 35. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Okay, so note what he said at the very first. I want you to finish it for me, the very first part. I am the what? The bread of life. That's number one. I am the bread of life. I am the food that gives life. Declared himself. Let's go to the second one he talks. John wrote this one down. Chapter 8, verse 12. Chapter 8, verse 12. And I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. So what does he say in the second one? I am the what? The light of the world. I am the light of the world. Let's go to the next one. Goes down to chapter 10, verse 7. Jesus said... I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. So, what does it start off? He says, I tell you the truth, I am what? The gate, the gate for the sheep. Let's go down to John chapter 10, verse 11. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So what does Jesus say? I am what? The good shepherd. Let's go down to chapter 11, verse 25. John records this. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. So finish it for me. I am the what? Okay, John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So John 14, Jesus says, I am the what? The way, the truth, and the life. Let's go to John chapter 15. John records it. 
I am the vine, Jesus says. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So let's finish it. I am the what? The vine. He is the vine. Seven declarations. We pick it up. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. Or I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am the vine. In rapid succession, Christ makes point after point, defining himself undeniably. He made it clear as he could. I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. There's three common denominators I want to point out to you from these sayings. The first is all seven titles are preceded by I am. John chapter 18 verse 6 tells the story of the arrest of Jesus. And in the story of John chapter 18, Judas, who was the betrayer, has just betrayed Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. The mob has gathered. The mob consists of priests and soldiers, many soldiers. And the soldiers were asking for Jesus' identity. Where is Jesus? They're looking for him. It's dark. Where is Jesus? And upon coming actually to Christ, Jesus responded. He said, and the NIV says, I am he. So when they're looking, where is Jesus? We need looking around amongst all the disciples. Where is Jesus? Where's, where is this Jesus? And when they actually get to him, Jesus The NIV says, I am he. Here's what happens in that text. The entire troop falls backward to the ground. It's a strange passage. You can read it. These are seasoned, battle-seasoned soldiers. When Jesus spoke the words, it says the entire troop fell to the ground. Seems like a little anomaly right there in Scripture, and it just goes on. Doesn't, doesn't highlight it. John marks it. The others didn't mention it. John marks it because he was there. And John sees what happens. He says, when Jesus said that, in the NIV, the New International Version says, Jesus said, I am he. Where's Jesus? I am he. They all fall down, and then they get back up. And then they arrest Jesus is what happens. Little moment. I want to draw attention to, I think there's, John is pointing out something because John is also the one who just identified seven I am's of Jesus. One of the problems we have is when the Bible gets translated. It, it translates from the Greek into the English. And translator tries, they, they have to put articles in front of words to make sense. If you take that text where Jesus said, I am he, And go to the original, the word he is missing. So the translators added it because it made sense in their minds to add it. But I want to take you to the interlinear Bible translation. The actual words of Jesus, the actual words took place here, not the word. The actual words took place that take place are this. Then when he said to them, I am, they departed into the rear and fell to the ground. That's the literal translation. I'm going to say it again. Then when he said to them, Jesus, then when he said to them, looking for him, then when he said to them, I am, 
they departed into the rear and fell to the ground. He is missing. So the translator put the word he in there, but it's missing. All Jesus said where they were, where is Jesus? Where is Jesus? Where is Jesus? And when they came to Jesus, he says, I am. Down they went. That's what happened. This is so important. One of the messy things of translations. Because if it says I am he, he's referring to an identity. I refer to myself as Wayne. So I am, and so when I say I am, after the I am is my true identity. I am Wayne. I am a husband. I am a father. I am a grandfather. I am a pastor. I am a Canadian citizen. You following? So when I define you, you are, then your identity comes after those two words, but not with Jesus. He's the I am. You see the difference? He's the I am. So when John is recording in the scriptures, he's attempting to put some things behind. What is I am? He's the resurrection. He's the bread. He's the gate. He's all those things. But those don't individually define him. He's I am. He's I am. So what happened on that day, they were looking for I am Wayne, I am your name. They were looking for the identity after the I am. And Jesus just got up and said, I am. And in that moment, something supernatural knocked these seasoned soldiers flat on their backside. Would have been amazing to see, wouldn't it? Down they went. And then they got back up. And then they had to arrest this guy. Like you're, you're kind of put in your place at this moment, aren't you? You think you're in charge? <laughs> think twice. The I am just spoke up. The I am just spoke up. The great I am. And that's why I call it the great I am. There is nothing common about I am. When Christ says the words I am, when they fall from his lips as the I am, it is he who was and ever has been. It is the I am who is right now present in this moment right here at Cornerstone, at this very moment. And he is already in your future. He is I am. He, trans, he steps outside of your linear, your and my. We're locked into linear time elements. We are young, we grow old. He doesn't. He's outside of that. He breathed and the world came into place. He gave breath and life came to be. He sustains life. He exists outside time. He exists outside space. And he exists outside my head. I cannot reason. The world is his footstool. The universe worships him. His name cannot actually be uttered. The hills melt like wax in the presence of the great I am. So when Jesus said, I am, don't put the word he behind. We do it because we don't know what to do with that. But the true rendering, Jesus just said, I am. And that moment, something swept over the whole moment, the place, and they were knocked down. I think music artist Chris Tomlin tried to get a, his head around this. You got to love music, music artists because they put to words what we can't. And he tried. He really tried. Chris Tomlin tried when he wrote a song, Indescribable uncontainable, all-powerful, untamable, awesome, amazing God. And he's throwing these words around because you can't nail any one of them. He's that and he's more. 
And so it makes sense. There's moments when you stand before him and there's nothing more to say. You say nothing. Because if you begin to say something, it minimizes the moment. Because he's beyond my words. He's beyond my comprehension. And so, when we come to the great I am, we pick up something outside of this world. So, did you notice, I am. I want to draw your attention, seven I am's. The second thing I want to draw your attention to, these seven things that John brings out, is the word the included in each title. If you go back and read each of the seven I am titles in John, you will find in every case of the seven, the word the is followed. I am the rather than I am ah. Now this issue may seem elementary scholistically, but nothing can be more profoundly theological. For just a moment, we need to just think about it. He said, he said in the moment of saying, I am, he didn't say, I am, and, let, and we go back through. He didn't say, I am a light. I'm the light. He didn't say, I'm a gate among many gates. I'm the only one. He didn't say, I am a bread. I'm the only bread. Every single one of them, the article was the. I am the. I am the. That's profound. That's, this is good theology right there. That is profound. And I want to take it personal here, can we? I don't think this is simply meant to be bounced between our ears. I think this is meant to be worked out in our heart. We're following John to the heart. So let's see how this identifies our hearts. So as we begin to realize that I am, when he identifies I am the, let's take it now and let's bring it home here today. For a moment, would you, with me this morning, forget about everybody else in the body of Christ just this moment and just think about your individual approach to Jesus Christ. Is Jesus a light to you or is he the light to you? Make it personal. If he's a light to you, that means you're getting your source elsewhere too. Now, I could figure it out. If I could spend a week with you individually, if we could spend a week together, I could be able to answer this question. And likewise, you, me. If I discover that all you talk about is this and that and sports and this and that, not that those are wrong, but if the delight of your heart, if that which lights you up is out there, then he is a light to you versus he is the light and everything else is secondary. doesn't mean we can't have the other. It just means it's really not that important compared to the light. Let me make it personal. Is he a means for your afterlife? Is he, is he a means for you, you hope to get to heaven? You don't want to go to hell? Or does him being the, the resurrection, instead of our resurrection for you, instead of him being the resurrection, it changes everything of how we approach it. Is he a gate for you? That means you have multiple gates. You go through gates and you live your life for those other things. You live your life for you. Or is he the gate in your life? 
Can you take him or leave him? Do you pick him up when you, when you choose to? Because then I'm going to suggest he is agate. He is a moment. He is, he is he's an option to you. He is not the Christ. And so therefore, it's not just the Christ. He is an option. An option for you to choose from. So I come down to that place. To be honest as possible with your response to the following question. Listen to this. Is Jesus Christ an a among several other possibilities in this life to you? Or is Jesus Christ the to you? And that is highly personal. And I'm going to suggest in a crowd this size and those who are online, there are many who will have to agree to say he's, he's an ah. He's an ah because he really doesn't, he's not the light of my life. He's not the gate by which I put all my trust and fellowship in. He's one, though. And so it came down to this place. The question is, he declared himself as the. And the third thing I want to bring out in this section here is, in the I am statements, each of Christ's seven I am statements in the Gospel of John are highly relational. I want you to see this. You look back over the seven titles, look at how each title is associated people. He's not just talking about himself. He's referring himself to people. So I think if you can see this, you'll discover a blessing right here. So let's go back. John chapter 6, 35. He talks about, I am the bread of life, and they who come to me will never go hungry. So because I'm the bread, here's how you're affected. If you eat of me, you won't be hungry. In chapter 8, verse 12, he says, I am the light of the world. He said, so if you're walking in darkness, don't follow me. It's relational. Are you walking in darkness? Do you, do you not know where to go? Do you not know what to turn to? Then come to Jesus, he says. Follow me. I'm the light. John chapter 10, he says, I am the gate to the sheep. If you want salvation, enter me. If you want salvation, you got to come through this gate. I am the gate. I will give you salvation, he says. Do you see how that relates to us? Note this next part. I am the good shepherd. If you want protection, what do shepherds do? They look after the sheep. They protect the sheep. They show the sheep where they need to eat, and they protect them. If you are looking for protection, if you're looking for safety, if you want your fear to be cast out, then you need to go. He says, if, you're, if you go to the good shepherd, you will belong in that pasture. It's all relational. He talks about, I am the resurrection and the life. Therefore, don't fear death. Don't fear death. If you believe in me, you'll live. It's relational. I will give you life. He talks about here, he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. In other words, if you are trying to get to the purpose of life, the Father of all, then follow me, and I will take you to the Father. All seven are relational. One after the other. They who come to the bread of life will never go hungry. They who follow the light of the world will never walk in darkness. Whoever enters through the gate to the sheep will be saved. They who belong to the good shepherd receive protection and is known by the shepherd. They who believe in the resurrection and the life will live even though you die. And whoever follows the way, the truth, and the life will come to the Father. What an invitation we have to come to Jesus all seven, all seven statements say, come, know me. Praise God. There is no other religion does that. 
except the invitation. Jesus says, come to me. All seven. So I just want to, and, and John chapter 15, 1 to 5, they who remain in me, they who remain in the true vine will bear much fruit. It's the seventh one. I, I neglected that one. John is pointing out Christ is everything you need. You will never have a challenge. He won't empower you to meet. You will never have a need. He can't fill. You will never have an earthly desire that Jesus Christ can't exceed. When you allow Christ to be all he is to you, you find wholeness. One piece at a time, but you will find wholeness. And every time you discover the reality of Christ fulfilling another realm of your needs and another realm of your longing, his name will be written on a new part of your heart and you'll come closer to being whole in Christ. Every time you enter into a new place, your heart's just made stronger. Praise God. That's the journey I'm on. That's what it means to follow Jesus, to take on his heart. Praise God. Jesus Christ is the great I am. I'm just going to pause here for a second because in a few moments, I'm going to give an invitation. If you're here this morning, I don't assume. One of the saddest things I think as pastors we have is people that listen to the word preached but never come into a living faith themselves. Oh, that if you are here, why don't you embrace the great I am? He is the great I am. Don't turn away another day. Don't turn away another moment. Don't turn away another hour and embrace the great I am. You are welcome to study the evidence. You are welcome to go back and reread the gospel of John slowly, meticulously, underlining the things that you haven't seen or understood before, opening your heart that he would reveal himself. But as he does, respond. For God's sake, and I'm not saying this in swear. For God's sake, respond. Respond. Don't put it off. Don't say tomorrow. Don't reserve a little bit for yourself, afraid that you'll get a fanatic if you follow him. But with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, he is the great I am. Is he worthy to be served? Is he worthy to be given all? Or not? Or not? And again, I made the claims earlier. If he is as some say he is, then he is either a, a crazy lunatic or he's mentally ill, and probably be both of the same. Or is he the Christ? Is he the Christ who changes lives today because he is highly relational? I want to step away from this. I want to take that last one I mentioned in John chapter 15, verse 1 and verse 5. They who remain in the true vine will bear much fruit. I want to close with this last point. I think this last point is so huge. John, again, is the only of the four writers who talks at any length about this. I'm going to pick it up in John 15, verse 8. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much more fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much, and I put in brackets there, I'm going to explain why I did, more fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. The source that we have been given never stops. Jesus identifies himself as the vine, the trunk. And he invites you to be the branches grafted into the trunk. And the picture here is that as you abide in him and he abides in you, you will bear fruit. The branches are what, the vine doesn't bear the fruit. The trunk does not bear fruit on the trees around us. It's the branches that bear fruit. 
So the supply comes up, the branches bear. And Jesus says, I'm the vine. And he invites you to be grafted in to be the branches. In John 15, verse 1, he says, I am the true vine. In other words, there's a lot of vines out there. There's a lot of vines you can graft into. But there's one, there's one that will bear fruit to everlasting life. There's one. And then he says in John 1, I am the true vine. And he says, and my father is the gardener. This message is not for pastors or priests or bishops. This pastor is for every single one of us here today. You and I today need to know that the God of all the universe has ordained that your precious life bear much more fruit. And so adamant is the father about that you and I bear fruit and bear more fruit. He's extended this inconceivable offer to us. There's three things I want to, because he extends this, here's what it means. Number one, it's a love you can live in. When will we get it through our heads how much he loves us? I have a hard time with this. One of my hardest spiritual realities is knowing how much God loves me. I struggle with that, and I don't know if you do too. I always struggle with that. I believe it. And then if you watch me, sometimes it's not like I do. Take a look at perhaps the most astounding verse in this entire segment we're in today. John 15, 9. As the Father has loved me, Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. That is profound. Trying to grasp this. Jesus loves me like the Father loves me. Just slow it down. Jesus loves you like you are his only begotten. Christ follows the statement where he says, the Father, as the Father loves me, I love you. I have the same depth of love for you as the Father loves his only begotten Son. So do I love you. Oh, I have to hear that over and over again. And he follows this statement with the command in the very same verse. He says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now here's what he finishes it. He says, remain in my love. That's your part. Your part, my part. Remain in his love. Remain in my love. This is love you can live in. I don't visit it for an hour and a half on Sunday morning. I don't visit it when I turn on music and I listen to worship music. I don't visit his love when I have my devotions in the morning or at night when I go to bed. I don't visit his love when a pastor preaches something or I tune into you, uh, the Bible version on, the, on your app and you read something of the day. I don't tune in at that moment. I have the option. I have the capacity to live 24-7 every day. Live in his love. That's what he's saying. He said, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Live in it. Live in it. Eat, breathe, walk. Live in it. Everything you have, let it define you. Live in it. A love you can live in. Secondly, another great offer he provides in this. It's a source you can draw from. The one requirement for a profusely fruit-bearing life is that we abide in Christ like a branch has to be attached to the vine. In John 15, 5, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. 
You got to stay connected. You got to stay connected. Jesus says this, and his call to us is to embed ourselves in him. Let the power source flow, and he'll do the work through us. Your job, be embedded in him. Be embedded in him. Stay embedded to him. That's the secret to fruitfulness. One of the things that branches have a tendency to do, particularly in the vine, is they will begin to twist and move around in in very unique twisting. And sometimes when the branch twists too much, they actually cut off the flow that flows through the branch. Now, you can't see that on the outside. You see this amazing kink. We call it a kink in the vine, a twist. As it twists itself around the vine and and whatever's there, it twists itself around. But sometimes the twist is so severe, it kinks itself off from the life-giving, and very little flow flows through. Here's what happens in the Christian life. Sometimes in our movement in the Christian life, we are so wrapped around stuff that we have kinked off the life-giving flow of the vine. You've got to have that open because your fruit will not bear if you have kink in the vine. The vine will naturally sometimes want to so twist itself it will actually kink off the flow of the, fl- of the vine. And that's what he's calling us. He's saying, listen, you need to make sure you remain open to the flow of the vine. That's your job. You've got to remain open to the flow of the vine. Open to, I, wanna, I have a question for you. Has something kinked off your vine? Has somebody kinked your vine? Has a situation brought a kink to your vine? Is there something you're no longer open to as maybe you once were or you should be? And you've kinked off your vine. You're too analytical. You're thinking it through too much. You're overthinking it instead of just saying, God, I don't understand all of this, but by faith I come. But you've kinked it off. There's something that has gotten in there and kinked off the vine. The call. You know, the vine is, the branch is still connected, but the flow is not open. And we can look connected. We can be coming to church every Sunday. I've, I've, I've seen people come to church every Sunday. I've seen people, you know, looking all good, the smile on their face, and they dress great and all this kind of stuff. But there's a kink there, and it's hard to see the kink at first. The only way you can see the kink is you notice the fruit's not coming. The fruit's not generous. And you're going, how come there's this person's, all this is going on, but I'm not seeing a whole lot of productivity from this person. How come I'm not seeing goodness flowing out of the fruit from this person? There's a kink in the vine over here. Get the kink out. Get the kink out. That's between you and the vine. You get the kink out because it's flowing, but there's a kink. There's something stopping the flow. Whatever it is, don't let it hinder the flow. The source that you can draw from. I love you can live in a source you can draw from. Third one, a gardener you can depend on. You've heard of personal trainers when it comes to uh, working out. I'm not going to ask here who has personal trainers. That's a little too personal. But some of you have gym memberships or head gym memberships. I know. I've not. Um, And probably the reason is, is those that I've known who have had, when they've had a personal trainer, the trainer works them so hard, they end up throwing up and being miserable. And it's just like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to pay somebody to do that to me. And so it's just my, my, my shyness on that one. Um, so personal trainer will work you hard because they're trying to get the best out of you. We have a personal gardener. 
He says here, you have a gardener, and he is your gardener. Verse 2, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. It's one of the things, we've talked about this a lot. A fruit tree can only give its fruit for something else to enjoy. So apples are now growing in the apple trees. Probably in a month they'll be at their best or half a month or whatever. And, but an apple tree does not enjoy its own apples. It produces its fruit for something to enjoy. It produces apples to serve something else. An orange tree produces orange. The orange tree doesn't enjoy its own oranges. The oranges are to be enjoyed by something else. Likewise, banana, on and on and on it goes. Okay, it makes sense. We know that. So my fruit is not for me. My fruit's to give away. Your fruit's not about you. Your fruit is to give away. So as you are attached to the vine and begin to produce fruit, because as you are attached and the flow is open, you will produce fruit. Can't not. As you produce fruit, keep the flow, keep remaining, stay attached. As you produce fruit, your fruit is to serve. All of us. Your fruit is to serve. Lori and I had this big discussion just this past week about situations and people we know who never leave their home, never leave their place. They believe that they are following Jesus and loving Jesus, but all they ever do, they have these amazing Bible studies and they have these amazing times with Jesus, but they never serve another person. I'm going to say they're anemic. They are not fruitful. They might have these amazing times with Jesus, but you know the enemy of your soul would let you have these amazing times with Jesus just as long as your fruit never gets consumed. My fruit has to be consumed. And so my fruit has to be about helping someone else. It has to be serving you. It has to be caring. It has to be doing something. And your fruit is not for your self-consumption. Your fruit is to serve. So that's why we encourage one another in the body of Christ. Where are you serving? Where are you going beyond your comfort zones to serve others? Using what God has given you. And you may say, I don't know where to serve. Well, just start where the need is. And then it will find its way and your fruit will begin to be plucked off and enjoyed and you will minister to others. Here's the key in this. The gardener, the gardener, he says, where there is fruit, he says, there will become more fruit. So as you begin to serve, you'll discover it doesn't deplete you. You'll have more fruit. It doesn't begin until you begin to serve. Follow with me here. Just As you have fruit and you give it away, now you have two. He multiplies it. If you contain your fruit, it never goes beyond that. It stops there. But as you serve others, you will be given, in this text, more fruit. And this is where it gets exciting. This is where a lot of misunderstanding. Now there's more fruit. As you produce more fruit, the gardener comes along with his pruners and says, oh, there's quite a bit of fruit here. I can get more. We call it fruit, more fruit, much fruit. How do we get to the place of much fruit? Between more fruit and much fruit, the gardener does not spend time on branches that don't produce any fruit. On branches that don't produce any fruit, they're useless. That's why he says that at some point, he'll probably just cut them down and throw them in the fire because they just take up space. They're useless. But when he begins to see fruit, as you begin to serve, 
You begin to produce more. As you begin to produce more, the gardener comes along and says, this has potential. This has potential for much. But what does he do? He doesn't simply, you know, parade you with beautiful flowers and, you know, trim everything around you so everybody can see what you're doing. You know what he does? He prunes you. So in your faith, when you're living your faith, and as you begin to follow Jesus, this is why this makes sense. When I begin to adamantly put this into practice, you know, Pastor Wayne, sit on Sunday. I need to remain and begin to serve. And so now I began to serve. And I began to reach out and do this and do this. And as soon as I began to do that, it seemed like all hell broke loose in my home. You hear it all the time. It seems like all of a sudden I become threatened in my place of work. And now I got the sore back that I didn't have for five years. And on and on it goes. Snip, snip. Snip. And you begin to look over, how come this person's got all this going on and I don't have it in my life? Snip the pruner. The gardener comes along and he says, you got fruit. You have the capacity for much fruit. And so he begins to prune your branches. He prunes those who have more fruit so that they will have what? Much fruit. See how that works. But here's where we sometimes abandon the vine. We begin to compare ourselves and we don't like to be snipped. We don't like what's happening to us. We start to get jealous. How come, how come they're not having any problems? And, you know, I'm, I'm, serving, I'm serving and I'm involved here and I'm helping kids ministry and I'm teaching children and my own children are away from Jesus. He's calling you. Snip, snip, snip. He's preparing you for much fruit. Receive it. When you begin to do that, the sense of jealousy begins to rise up or a sense of insecurity begins to come and he's snipping. He's challenging your pride. He's challenging what you're focusing on. The things that he let go, he no longer lets go because you're about to produce much fruit. And so the gardener comes in. This is what's being spoken of here. He comes in and he begins to snip the areas so that you will go from more fruit to much fruit. Embrace it. Embrace it. Don't fight him. You just let the gardener do the gardening and you just remain in him and serve and watch how it multiplies and touches and changes lives and you can look around and don't try to figure that out. It will work itself out. He is the gardener. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. He will not forsake you. He will not forsake you. He takes us from no fruit and this is kind of the sequence. No apparent fruit to some fruit, to more fruit, to much fruit. There are those that don't produce fruit, couldn't be bothered. But as you begin to produce fruit, now you've got the attention of the gardener. Produce more fruit, because there's more. And as you produce more, the gardener will come and tend to you as a personal trainer would. And it, could, it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good at the time. But as he prepares you for much fruit, there's a great harvest at the other side. You will make a difference in people's lives. I want to close our time in prayer this morning. There's two fundamental things I want to share. The first one, I've got, I'm going to circle back to it. If you are here and you just need to embrace Jesus Christ as Lord, you need to open your heart and let that flow, that flow be yours. Do it. Don't worry about the people next to you, the people in front, people behind, what happened before. Open your heart to the great I am. Is he worthy? of your life. And if it's yes, then embrace him. Embrace him today. Embrace him wholeheartedly. Embrace him with, you don't have to have it figured out. That's why it's called faith. You by faith embrace him and then trust him to do the rest. You can trust him. He is a good God. And I invite you to do that. 
And then secondly, I'm going to give opportunity for you to just receive the call to go from fruit to much fruit. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.